0: Welcome to episode 331 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent here, and this week I've got Jim Wilson returning to the podcast. Always a joy to have Jim Wilson join me. This time was kind of a spur-of-the-moment decision to ask Jim to be on, and it's unfortunate that I had to ask him because I asked him due to the fact that we lost Charlie Watts recently. As everybody should know by now, by the time you're hearing this about... A little under two weeks ago, we lost Charlie, the drummer of the Rolling Stones. I've loved the Rolling Stones since I was young. I've never been extremely diehard, but I love the band in their entirety. I love all their music. But I thought if I just talked for a bit about Charlie or did an episode where I was talking about the Rolling Stones, it would just kind of be me talking, hey, I love this song. Here's why I love that song. I love this album. Blah, blah, blah. So I wanted to get a musician on here. And not only that, I wanted it to be a world-class musician. And then I wanted to get a musician that was a huge fan of the Rolling Stones, like a diehard fan. So my first thought was Jim Wilson. I reached out to him, and he instantly said yes. So very happy to have him here. He actually joined me on another tribute I did about a year ago, or a little under a year ago, last October. We put out our Eddie Van Halen tribute episode, and we had 14 different guests join us on that episode. It was, I believe that episode was almost three and a half hours long. You know, it's a phenomenal episode as far as the guests that are on there talking about Eddie. You know, Jim was a part of that and had some great stuff to say. So I knew that he would have some great stuff to say about Charlie Watts, and he absolutely did. That'll be coming up here in just a minute. Our sponsors for this podcast, as always, are DEB Concerts. Rocklahoma just ended. I'm actually, in full transparency, I recorded this thing several days ago, before I went to Rocklahoma. So I can't talk about what happened, what I saw, and all that great stuff, but we're just going to guess that it was a good time. DB Concerts promoted and put on and booked the Roadhouse Stage out there the last several years. This year, the Roadhouse Stage saw Stephen Piercy of Rat, The Iron Maidens, Liliac, Puddle of Mud, John 5, Fist of Rage, Sever Mine, Travis Bond, Chaotic Resemblance, Dead Metal Society, and a host of other bands, The Outlaw Devils as well. And this was all on the Roadhouse Stage, which is a huge tented area that runs from around 11.30 or noon to about 7 seven or so at night on the three days of the main days. And then on the pre-party day, it's at night. That's where the pre-party is held. But DB Concerts. They keep bringing great shows, and on that episode last week with Doug Burgess, he talks about some exciting stuff that he's planning for next year at the BOK Center with Poison, Megadeth, Machine Gun Kelly, and some other things. You can be kept up to date by following them here on Facebook and on Twitter and Instagram. You can also hit them up on their website at debconcerts.com so you don't miss out on any future concert announcements, and of course, I'll be letting you know here as well, so a huge thank you to DB Concerts. We've also got Hell Hot Hot Sauce, a hot sauce company based out of the San Francisco Bay Area. They make small batch artists and hot sauces, and they have a lot of collaborations with some metal artists. Florida Frank from Hatebreed has Florida Frank's Florida Heat. Ghoul has a sauce called Brain Jerk. Techno Destructo, formerly of Gore, has a sauce called Garlic Death Grip. They've got a sauce coming soon from zetro and a sauce from death angel in the future you can hit them up at hellhothotsauce.com to check out that and their other sauces buy some bottles of this stuff the ones i've been able to taste are phenomenal they're extremely hot but they've got great flavor if you're on the west coast you can buy them in a lot of stores out there but hit them up on that website to buy them wherever else you are and of course let them know that you heard about them right here on thunder underground We've also got Sunset Tattoo, which is a tattoo shop in Tulsa, Oklahoma. In the midtown area of Tulsa, their tattoos are done getting proper. They're state licensed, they're mother approved, and Jake has been doing tattoos for over 25 years. Phenomenal work. I've personally had a tattoo done by Jake and absolutely love it. I know several other people that have and that are happy with their work as well. You can see photos on Instagram at Sunset Tattoo Tulsa and on Facebook at Sunset Tattoo Tulsa as well. Shoot him a message or give him a call to set up a time to talk about what work you want to have done. And get over there and get it done from Jake. He's a great artist and a great dude to hang out and talk to. So hit up Sunset Tattoo and let him know you heard about him here. Finally, we've got Med at a dispensary located in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma at 24683. They're right off the highway. If you call, text, or email ahead, you can place your order and then go through their drive through and pick it up and be on your way. A lot of dispensaries don't offer a drive through so that's a very cool thing. You can see their selection at Leafly.com. You can also go inside and check everything out. Hit them up on Facebook at Medfarm. That's P-H-A-R-M. Instagram is MedfarmOK. And their website is MedfarmOK.com. They're always running great specials. And one of the specials that is always running is if you mention Thunder Underground, they'll give you 10% off your first order. And on top of all that... The reason you should choose Medfarm above the other countless dispensaries around, Medfarm gives 30% of their profits to build no-kill animal shelters. Most businesses don't do anything like that at that amount. You know, a lot of businesses will do 10% here, you know, 10% for something, or they'll do a promotion for a few weeks of a larger amount. But this is 30% all the time. So get over there and check them out. Get some great product, and of course, your money's going to a good cause. All right, Jim Wilson, the man of the hour. Well, I should say Charlie Watts is the man of the hour. But Jim Wilson is here to talk about Charlie Watts. And Jim Wilson, if you're not familiar with him, you should be. He's got a lot of music out there, and it's all great. Me and Jason had the opportunity to talk to him. I believe, I should have looked up the numbers, but he's been on here Four times previously? This might be his fifth time. It's either his fourth or fifth time. We've had two or three episodes where we just talked to Jim for a long time about everything he's got going on. And like I said, he was also on our Eddie Van Halen episode. Jim had a band called Mother Superior that had several albums. This phenomenal power trio that we were fortunate enough to see live and fell in love with this band over 20 years ago. And then... After that, Mother Superior became Henry Rollins' backing band when he reformed the the, Rollins Band. When he reformed the Rollins Band, Mother Superior became the Rollins Band with Henry. Got to see that as well. They put out two albums. Jim was a member of the band for two albums. Those are both great albums if you're not familiar with the later Rollins Band albums. Check those out. He's also recently released a solo album and a solo EP with Phil Jones. And Phil Jones is another great musician that Jim's going to talk about here in this interview coming up. And they've got more stuff forthcoming in the coming year as well. He also tours with Daniel Lanois, and he tours with, and he makes music, I believe, with Daniel as well. He talks about it here coming up. He's made music with Mark Ford in the past, and he just got done making some with Mark recently, Mark Ford, of course, formerly of Black Crows. And then, I think I mentioned he tours with Emmylou Harris. And he's also a part of Motor Sister, which has been around now for a few years. Motor Sister's first album came out a few years ago, and it was a reworking of Mother Superior songs. Mother Sister is Pearl Aday, John Tempesta, Joey Vera, Scottie In, and Jim Wilson phenomenal super group that lives up to the hype when you hear all those names together you're like can it really be that great yes it can and they've got music coming brand new music like I said that first album was their reimagining of some Mother superior songs but this next album is all original material that they all wrote together so I'm really looking forward to this because Jim Wilson's a phenomenal writer but then you add in the aspect of Scott Ian and of Day. You've got John Tempesta and Joey Vera all adding their stamp to this. So that should be coming out early in 2022. He mentions that coming up soon as well. So personal thoughts on the Rolling Stones is, there, you know, there's not much to be said. It's kind of like when we talk about Eva and Halen. It's like everybody knows the impact and the greatness of what we lost with that. Charlie Watts as a name kinda gets lost in the shuffle because he's in a band, you know, I'm talking about to your average to your average listener, your average fan. He's in a band with two larger than life characters when it comes to Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, who are two of the most well known rock stars ever. But the Rolling Stones as a whole is just filled with rock stars because Ron Wood, Bill Wyman, and Charlie Watts, are all phenomenal musicians, and they're all instantly recognizable as people, if you're a fan of rock and roll, like a big fan. And it's great to see, since Charlie's past, the outpouring from musicians talking about his importance, because a lot of times, with drummers, people overlook how important a drummer like Charlie is, the simplicity and the pocket, the groove, all that stuff that you hear about from guys like Charlie, and that he kind of is the groundwork for what would come from other guys in the future that played that way, whether it be Phil Rudd is another very well-known drummer that played the same way with ACDC. Reed Mullen was on this podcast from Corrosion Conformity, and he passed away, unfortunately, about a year and a half ago, and he... Was the same way in my opinion. Very simplistic. But very powerful. And Charlie Watts laid the groundwork for all these guys. And the Stones. You know there's no need to talk about. Like I said their importance to rock and roll. I wanted to do this episode with Jim. Because I wanted to celebrate Charlie. Because like I said. A lot of people. Your average listener. When they think of the Stones. They think of Mick or Keith. So I I wanted to do this. I wanted to be able to have an episode where we're just talking about Charlie. So with all that being said, let's jump into this. Here's Jim Wilson of Motor Sister.
1: i've um for the past few months i've been i have to my my radio shows all from vinyl of course and i have to digitize those so sometimes i just do stuff in advance knowing that i'm going to be playing stuff a lot of tracks by certain artists and i've been going through all my stones vinyl for the past months you know starting kind of from the beginning and just moving my way up and um making copies of the albums for the show. So I've been really in a heavy stones phase as it was. (laughs) And, uh, so it's been weird since Charlie died because of course I've been playing Rolling Stones, but you know, I have been anyway. So I've just been listening to the ones that I haven't played yet. And that's been fun because, uh, just played a couple of my favorites. I love the early eighties, late seventies, early eighties, say from black and blue to, uh, undercover, which you know people are mostly indifferent to, but I love that record. So you know, that was my uh teenage years Stones records and when i, I, I went to the Tattoo you tour, it's my first concert, you know. Oh wow. Uh, but I'd already been into them because uh I, I was infatuated with the Beatles and if anybody ever says like who is your favorite bands I always say the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Because <laughs> uh you know that's just it's the blueprint of everything you can find in in those bands, you know, and the other thing with the stones was I loved their 60s stuff when I was a kid too. catching up on that stuff, but they were still active when I was growing up, you know, so that was what was different from the Beatles. I couldn't go see the Beatles, but actually had a chance to see the stones as many times as I could, you know? So uh, they've always been kind of my second favorite band, but they're, Sometimes they're my number one band and that includes Charlie Watts. I mean, I've all, I've been infatuated with Charlie Watts since, you know, I was a kid because number one, he just looks so strange and, you know, different. And, uh, you know, I wear jackets all the time because of Charlie Watts. It was, you know, one day I put on a jacket instead of a rock and roll shirt or whatever and it was like oh wow it's like you know early stones <laughs> so <laughs> I've continued that his whole style and you know seeing gimme shelter the movie when I was a kid and those opening scenes when he's listening to the hell's angel guy talk on the phone and you know the cover of get your Ya's out and that's another thing too uh there's not very many live albums that I love as much as studio um, there's great live albums but I never include them you know, when people say, "What are your favorite albums by any artist?" Maybe Kiss Alive and uh, get your yayas out. And not only is Get Your Yayas Out my favorite Stones live album, but you know it could be one of my favorite Stones albums. Period. Wow. And the band is so raw, and you know, if you listen to uh, Little Queenie, for you know, they start playing it, and for the first thirty seconds, Charlie is in one time and Keith's in another time and then somehow when they get to mix singing on the verse they pull it together it's it's and it sounds great like they have a groove going but they are like totally reverse of you know Charlie's on the one or whatever and Keith's on the two (laughs) however you explain it but yeah check out that intro of Little Queenie and as screwed up as it is uh it's one of my favorite moments (laughs) and that's what I love about the Stones and that's why they're so important because they kept that, that kind of, it doesn't matter as long as we get a groove and keep it together attitude. Um, Even when I, my first concert, uh, JFK stadium, 1981, Philadelphia, I was, you know, just uh, 13 years old and um just starting to play guitar with my friends and you know jamming and learning about mistakes and stuff and then i go to see the stones now it was the first show of the tour so give them that but uh, they were screwing up all over the place you know and i was just a kid going wow you know i guess we don't have to like worry about it that much <laughs> and uh they played i have a bootleg of the show now too which is cool because i always relive it but they played let it bleed And I already had that record, and uh, the intro is C, F, and G. So Mick picks up the guitar and keeps going back and forth, C, F, C, F, C, F. And they don't know when to kick in because he leaves out the G. (laughs) So I'm in the audience going, what's going on? And then Mick Jagger says, hold on, hold on, hold on. He stops the band and then starts over and has that G in there. And you know... (laughs) I had seen like my dad's local country band play and that, and everybody's like oh you made a mistake or that kind of stuff and then it was just a revelation to see the stones be so loose <laughs> right and, and we do that with motor sister now I mean you know whenever we have gigs me and me and John Tantesta are always saying like keep it loose it's rock and roll you know if if something happens like we don't you know don't over rehearse it don't worry about it if you know just find each other and that's that's my roll. because once you get cooking and uh they you know the stones I mean, I mean how many times have they delivered you know what i mean so many tours and and i can't imagine uh the saddest part about the whole thing to me is not only charlie passing away but it's kind of the end of the stones i mean If they choose to go on and they, you know, use Steve Jordan or whoever, it just, you know, without Charlie, it's just a different drummer, pardon the pun, you know, but it just, I don't, I don't, it would either be imitation Charlie or, you know, something completely different. And I don't know which one would be worse, you know. (laughs) Steve Jordan, he's incredible, you know, but it's the same with Daryl Jones too, the bass player that's been with him for a long time. Going through the records, I just realized how great Bill Wyman was. You know, he right. had such unique bass playing that complemented the drums so much. And and I don't you know, I'm not blaming Daryl Jones for the last however many records that he's on, but you know, they don't really present him his bass as anything special it almost seems more like a background instrument i know he's not an actual member but you know that groove of those early records you know is just ridiculous if they're playing rhythm and blues or funk or just rock and roll or country i mean how many bands can uh if you listen to some girls you think of it as kind of like a rock record but You know, it starts with a disco R&B song and then it gets kind of punk rock. And then it's side two has country, you know, the first song is pedal steel on it. And uh, it's just one of my favorites, too. But I love all the eras. I mean, like I said, uh, I got into the early records when I was a kid because they had a, a record store down the street from my house that had eight tracks and they're a dollar ninety nine, two ninety nine, and they had the whole Stones catalog for a long time. So I've learned most of those records from A Tracks at first and then wow. eventually got all the vinyl. on yeah. It,
0: it was did- kinda like
1: A Trax cut out A Tracks were kinda like, you know, stealing MP threes and just get them <laughs> cheap when they were going out of business. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I know you kinda mentioned it with that with kiss like style, but as being a guy that was playing guitar and singing eventually and everything did you did charlie have any impact on you as a musician outside of just loving the stones and the groove
1: absolutely i mean uh i remember even in the mother superior days like uh putting on say have you seen your mother baby and just picking up my guitar and like trying to write something with that groove you know a completely different song but just that energy that was there and there were a few songs like that where uh just you know everybody rips off the stones but you don't want to sound just like the stones you know which is super easy to do you know to just tune your guitar like Keith and get into it but uh yeah for sure I mean Phil Jones that I've been playing with now is uh is a very he doesn't play like Charlie but he's a simple rock and roll drummer and it's kind of a dream come true you know because uh sometimes when you have a good funky thing on a guitar all you need is that you know a solid solid back to it and uh i feel like that's you know that's what charlie did so well is he just lit those those riffs and those ideas on fire i mean if you listen to uh bitch from sticky fingers just listen to the first five seconds when they all kick in it's incredible like to be in something i wouldn't even be surprised if i found out that they were already jamming on it and then they just cut the beginning of that intro, you know, in the middle of a thing. Cause it's just like, <laughs> they're just right in it, you know? And that's to me, that's Charlie too. Like there's a, there's a few stone songs that he didn't play on. Uh, Can't always get what you want. That's Jimmy Miller, the producer. Okay. I don't like, they just got into it and then I heard that Charlie showed up and said, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> and uh Something else from, oh, it's not coming to me right now, but there's another one that, oh, oh, it's only rock and roll because that was started at a Ron Wood solo session with Kenny Jones on drums. And same thing, they Mick turned it into a stone song and Charlie said, why why change the drums? They sound great. And both of those, I mean, you can tell if you listen to them, it, it, it sounds like the Stones, but, you know, listen to the drums on it's only rock and roll and you know it's not really Charlie's style it's a little more fancy and philly but um uh, also i wanted to point out listening through this stuff uh wild horses just the mm-hmm. minimal stuff that he plays on that is incredible and he comes in and out and then i realized like when it comes to the guitar solo he just ducks out and it just happens with no drums it's just like acoustic guitar and Mick Taylor soloing over it and then, you know, he comes back in like halfway through the next verse and shit like that too. It was just, you know, it's very, uh, I could tell there's a lot of intuition on his part and also just, you know, he understood their music and, you know, this guy wasn't even really a rock and roll fan, but uh, he realized they had something going and, you know, he compared it to hearing early R&B to, hearing early jazz, you know, it just connected with him, but it's not like he was going home and putting on Led Zeppelin records or anything, you know? And that's what's cool too. I mean, everybody loved Charlie and he's the crowd reaction he would get at the shows. And, you know, I mean, he's the guy that was like, you know, pushing it, you know, his keys got more simple too. And, Once they start playing stadiums, they're, you know, waving their arms and posing out in front. So, you know, those drums got to
0: keep rolling. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, a a lot of times when people celebrate drummers, you know, it's always the over the top guys like John Bonham or Mike Portnoy or Neil Peart, you know, that are doing a ton of stuff. Like how important is someone like Charlie Watts or Phil Rudd where it's straight up like that pocket drummer? Like how important is that to you to like the history of rock and roll?
1: I mean, I'm a bottom freak and, you know, I love Neil Peart and, uh, and, uh, you know, if a, if a drummer's great, he's great. And uh, Roger Taylor comes to mind too, just his kind of, he's kind of both, you know, he's kind of keeps it simple. And then he has like kind of orchestral stuff that he throws in all over the place. But, uh, yes, I'm a, I'm a Ringo guy and I'm a Phil Rudd guy. And, um, uh, you know, there's a bunch of those. I mean, Dennis Wilson from the beach boys. It's not like he was, uh, technically a great drummer but if you listen to what he played on some of those records he's punk rock you know and that's kind of part of it too Uh, both Charlie and Ringo are pretty punk rock if you look at 1965 or whatever at the time and Ringo was bashing away like nobody else did and and Charlie was just like (laughs) he was one of the stones he just was perfect and uh, it's almost like a you know almost like a fictional movie about a, a alter Beatles band, alternate Beatles band or something. And they're <laughs> the weirdest guys ever. And somehow it worked and they got, they just kept it going. And for sure, Mick and Keith just realized they could write songs and, uh, how many bands can put out great records for that long, you know? And, you know, it kind of, I still love the Stones and I like everything they've ever done. But my first disappointment one was uh, Steel Wheels. I just, in 89 and I, for the first time I felt like somebody else was driving the the boat or whatever, you know, like trying to make them sound different. And um, although I've loved parts of all the past records of the last 20 years or whatever, Voodoo Lounge is a good one. Parts of Bridges to Babylon I liked. Um, The blues record that came out the other year, I I listened to that recently, and it's okay. I mean, it just seems to me like I should have put up two mics and just forgot about it, you know. (laughs) But, you know, I understand, too. You can't keep doing the same thing over and over again. uh, I remember hearing uh, anybody see my baby from Bridges to Babylon, and... I was driving and i just was cracking up because it was so like oh no they're not doing it like this are they i, mean, I know some people like that song but as a long time fan there's a few that clunkers so well, we shouldn't talk about the clunkers we're here to celebrate charlie Right.
0: <laughs> when in all your you know your work with bernard fowler and everything did you ever have a chance to meet charlie
1: no, I've okay. never met any of the Rolling Stones okay. or any of the Beatles. I, I, that's yeah, it's it's crazy. I've just never uh, gotten the chance. And you know, I've been backstage at the their little lounge backstage, but it's not where the, the Stones hang out, you know. And uh, it's funny because I've asked a lot of friends recently, um, Phil Jones and Daniel Lanois, if, if they've ever met Charlie and. They had neither. you know. So it, didn't, it doesn't seem like the guy that was hanging around much, you know?
0: Right. And they've had...
1: Phil plays on uh, Bridges to Babylon. He plays percussion on one of the songs. And he said Keith was at the session, but Charlie wasn't there.
0: Okay. I mean, this is kind of a dumb question because, I mean, we've kind of already, in a way, covered it. But, like, looking back now that, he, you know, he's unfortunately gone, how do you think he should be remembered in the pantheon of rock and roll? Like, when it comes to just, like, all-time greats or just his impact on on rock and roll in general. Yeah.
1: See, I believe that, I mean, historically there's no one really more important. And, uh, I would put him right up there, even though it would be a, a large Mount Rushmore of drummers. Let's say there's, you know, if there's 12, Charlie's right there with them. Okay. I mean, because uh, you can't, it's so, there's so many greats, even like Buddy Rich or, you know, going back like that. But if we're just talking rock and roll, you still got your Bonhams and your Stuart Copeland's and, you know, you got to give it up to Alex Van Halen. Even I put him up there too. And, you know, he would be in good company. I think, you know, Charlie Watts is, pff, I, I it, it's the first time that, I've had a world without him so it's going to be interesting to see and through the years it's always been oh man if Nick or Keith passes that's going to suck and I never even really thought about Charlie right. <laughs> didn't even think that you know that would be a, an option or whatever so I don't know we're going to miss him for sure
0: <clears throat> was well, a, as a fan kind of playing off what you said earlier do you do you hope they stop or do you, would you like to see them just go on and celebrate the music live as long as you know, the three of them want I think
1: live they should keep playing. Why not? I mean, but, um, maybe instead of, uh, you know, something else that makes me a little pissed about the stones is they've just, they've done it a few times already and they're just about to do it again. they're putting out a 40th anniversary of tattoo you and it's a double, uh, and they go through the vaults and they find outtakes and then they overdub and they put Daryl Jones on it and mix things a new vocal and and I feel like if you're going to go that far if you're going to go through the vaults and like fix them up then just put out a new record like you got to have a couple three four tracks that you've recorded in the past six months or, or you know year two years or whatever put a couple new ones on there and then fix up some of the old ones. And that would be a an interesting Rolling Stones record, you know, instead of um, waiting 12 years and then putting out a mediocre record. And it'll be interesting to see if they start pulling tracks that they have right now with Charlie on drums and, you know, fuck it, put out a record called Charlie, put his face on the front and, you know, <laughs> Because I know they've been recording for a long time. It's been a while since they put out a studio record. They put out a couple singles, uh, Doom and Gloom and Living in a Ghost Town, which I played over the past couple of days, too. And I like Doom and Gloom. That's a good song. Uh, The album is okay. But, you know, every time that they put those out, they said, we're working on an album. So there's got to be tons of stuff in the vaults. So, yes, keep playing live and then give us some Charlie goodies (laughs) music-wise.
0: Well, how many times did you have the chance to see him live? Uh, four, four, okay,
1: four times. My favorite was uh, Dodger Stadium, maybe ten years ago, I think, maybe more. I can't even; t- it goes so fast. I have the ticket stub somewhere, but uh, it was incredible. Went with Scotty and and Pearl, and um, he had tickets for two. You know when they go out on the. Uh, the ramp thing, and they play in the middle of the stadium. Yeah. Scott got us tickets that were like fourth row in the front for the regular stage. And then when they go to the ramp, we had passes for the ramp. So <laughs> we're like running down the field to like, you know, check out the other part of the show. And so that was incredible. And um, so the 40 Elix tour at the Staples Center. And i broken up with some girl, and I, it was my birthday, so I'd paid $300 to get myself a good ticket wow. and I got the ticket and they, uh, I threw Rollins connection or something. And I went to the four seasons hotel in Beverly Hills and they had the stones office and, you know, I gave them $300 and they gave me a ticket and I bought one ticket and it said row four. And I thought, Oh my God, or something like that row five or something. But I was like, got there. And then I'm, I'm like on the side, halfway through the arena in row five or right? whatever it's like this is three hundred dollars wow <laughs> but it was a great show but you know the stones was always so hard to when the stones come to town it's just the biggest thing you know nothing like a stones concert.
0: <laughs> can you name your and absolute what? favorite stone song or is it one of those things where stone it's hard song. to name a single song
1: <laughs> um jumping jack flash uh, and that one always does it uh there's a million of them yeah but i don't know that one just sounds like so crunchy and you know street Fight man has that thing too but th- that's really a raw recording um man start me up i mean i, I could keep going I, the same with the albums too I, uh, a buddy asked me what my favorite was the other day, and I said some girls, and then I wrote back like three more, you know, it's hard to, <laughs> I love Between the Buttons, the mid-60s one, because I got that one when I was a kid, and uh, Charlie did the drawings on the back cover, and that's a really great British pop record, you know, it's not necessarily, uh, I heard that when Angus and Malcolm were kids, they got Between the Buttons, and they put it on, and they made a vowel to never not rock because they were disappointed that it was a little it's a little kinks that record definitely inspired by the kinks (laughs) yeah (laughs) that was the one that said come on we're never going to
0: make a record like this (laughs) and they never did right (laughs) (laughs) was there i mean we've named off several like you know amazing drummers since we've been talking is there anybody like any modern drummers, you know, that have come out in the past 20, 30 years that you think, you know, reminiscent of like Charlie's style and what he laid the groundwork for?
1: Hmm. Well, I mentioned Phil Jones. Yeah. He's, he's got that thing too. And he can be like Phil Rudd also when he wants to be. Um, and you know, some of the ones I'm thinking of, have been around for a long time. And my buddy, um, Steve Nister, who plays with Sparks, and we played together in Sparks and uh, Daniel's band for a while. He was on the M.U. Harris tour with us. He can do a spot on Charlie Watts. There's a song on my first solo record called Hot Shot, and that's Steve playing drums on it. And I said, just give me a full-on Charlie. So if you listen to that one, we went for it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, you don't hear it as much, you know? It's hard to even find bands that are just you know built around grooves like
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Mm-hmm. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate you talking to me a bit here, about uh, Charlie, and I'm looking forward to like, I mean, real quick, I guess while we're going here, like what's the sure. the status on, you mentioned to me before we were going here, but what's the status on Motor Sister as far as the next album? Yes.
1: We are doing four videos by the end of this year and they will all be released, you know, one at a time and the record will come out at the beginning of next year. We don't have a release date yet, but we will in September. Uh, the date for us to have everything completed to the label is September 1st, which is a couple days away. And then <clears throat> once they have everything in front of them, they look at the schedule and give us a release date. So any day now we'll have a release date, but they're so excited about it. That's why we're doing four videos. They don't know what song to choose to push first, which is a great thing.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, we had a get together and I, I said, um, uh, the four that I thought would be good and everybody agreed. So we know which four we're going to do. There's going to be two of them we're going to shoot live. So it'll be like totally live video. And then one will be a lip sync. Probably the first one will be just a lip sync of the record. And then we're going to do a fourth video of kind of a story production thing, which we've never done before. Give it to some director and, you know, let him come up with something. So that sounds fun to me
0: too. Yeah. <laughs> so it's coming. It's coming. Can we expect touring at all next year from Motor Sister or be more like spot gigs tons, like it's been? Tons. We had talked about that
1: too. Uh, Scott's not going to be doing any new Anthrax stuff until September next year. You know, some little things here and there, but, but uh, we have the same booking agent as Anthrax, so it's easy. And, uh, yeah, we talked about doing as many shows as we can, traveling as much as we can.
0: Okay. And that's another
1: reason to, uh, wait until the beginning of the year too.
0: Right. And you've got, the <laughs> more music with Phil Jones coming as well.
1: Tons. I yeah. mean, he's, uh, finalizing a bunch of the mixes and, uh, I think there's 18 songs or something. I made a 15 track version, <laughs> which is too long, but, uh, it, there's some really great stuff we're really excited about it Mark Ford now plays on four songs uh, Elliot Easton from the Cars plays solos on three songs wow. and uh, I'll step aside for those guys let them play <laughs> some solos for me <laughs> no it's been really great and everybody's excited about it it's going to be called Through My Eyes okay. so the Motor Sister record is called Get Off in case anybody wants to know it's too late to change it now <laughs>
0: <laughs> alright <laughs>
1: No, it sounds good. We got a really cool, sexy cover, too. Good deal. And a possible poster. It's going to be a double vinyl.
0: Possible what? Sorry?
1: Poster. Um, Oh, okay. John Tempesta wants wants a glow-in-the-dark poster, so they're they're (laughs) seeing if they can do that.
0: (laughs) That'd be awesome. (laughs) All right, man. Lots of music. Huge thanks for talking with me a bit about Charlie. I really appreciate it.
1: Anytime, Trent. Always happy to be here.
0: There you go, Jim Wilson. A huge thank you to Jim for taking some time out there to give me a call to talk about Charlie Watts and the Rolling Stones. And of course, there at the end, what he's got going on with his music. Very happy to talk to Jim once again. I wish it was under better circumstances, but we will definitely have Jim back on the podcast once it's time for the Motor Sister album to come out or for his next album with Phil Jones to come out and all that stuff. It's always a pleasure to talk to Jim, like I mentioned earlier. He's been on here a few other times, so if you're a fan of Jim, and this is the first time you've listened to Thunder Underground, dig back through and check out those episodes with Jim. Always a fun time, and he's a great speaker. So I I love listening to Jim talk, and more importantly, I love listening to him play his music with Motor Sister, Mother Superior, Rollins Band, and everything else. With all that being said... A huge thank you once again to Jim, and if this is your first time listening, we've got 330 previous episodes you can dig back through. You know, we've kind of spanned the the gamut of rock and roll here on this podcast. When Jason and I started this thing, we decided we were just going to, we just wanted to talk about music, and we wanted to talk about rock and roll, because that's what we love. So we, in our love of music, started when we were kids with glam rock, and it went to thrash metal. And then it just started branching into everything from their classic rock and later on into the heavier stuff and uh, all kinds of stuff. I mean, we've had Shooter Jennings and Ian Moore on here. We've had stuff like Vanilla Ice on here, which is getting really out there. But when you talk about classic rock, we've had Glenn Hughes on this podcast, who, in my opinion, is one of the top three or four vocalists of all time. We've had... Gene Simmons of Kiss on here. We've had Bruce Kulick of Grand Funk Railroad and formerly Kiss. We've had Damon Johnson, who is now a fill in member for Leonard Skinner. He's also a member of Thin Lizzy and many other things, including Brother Kane. We've also had on Ricky Warwick, who is the current vocalist of Thin Lizzy and Black Star Writers. I'm trying to think of the other classic rock style guys. We've had on a lot of those 80s rock guys. Like members of Great White, Tesla, Warrant, Firehouse, L.A. Guns, Junkyard, Kicks. The list is very long. We've had a lot of really heavy stuff. Like I said, Megadeth, Testament. Dig through it all. TheThunderunderground.com. You can listen to everything there. You can find all our socials there. So give us a like and follow wherever you're listening to this right now. Subscribe or like so you don't miss any future episodes. Speaking of future episodes, we've got an episode with J.T. Lux coming up. He's another young musician out of California that Frank Hannon is producing. Frank Hannon's been on a roll producing all kinds of great young talent. And J.T. Lux is no different. He is a great, great musician. We'll be talking to him shortly. We've also got an episode coming up with Tony Cavino of In Theory, who is another great newer band, blues-based rock band we have also got episodes coming up with a couple of people that I don't want to mention because they haven't been recorded. They're just scheduled. So be on the lookout for some exciting announcements, at least exciting in my opinion. Once again, a huge thank you to Jim Wilson for talking to me about Charlie Watts. Huge thank you to DB Concerts, Medfarm, Sunset Tattoo, and Hell Hot Hot Sauce. And until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all.